welcome to New Hope's Sermon of the Week. We pray that you would be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. Okay, so it's Father's Day, so we, are ha- we have to start with a video. And I understand that some of you guys have probably already seen this video, but I love it. And so I've seen it a number of times, and we are going to watch it again. So go ahead, guys. Loud. I want to tell you a story. <laughs> and like all good stories, it starts like this. Once upon a time, there was a father. And in case you can't figure that out, that's me. <laughs> this father had a wonderful little boy. He was very happy. But then one day he found out that his wife was going to have no baby. So I prayed, Lord, if it's your will, I was the first person to hold her in my arms. I looked at her and I said, Lord, make her like a mother. And he did. She was loving, giving, so good and so kind. But then I realized I was getting left out. So I said, Lord, make her like me. And he did. She can drive a truck and a tractor. She can load a hay and strip tobacco. You realize what you're getting. <laughs> but at the same time, she was opinionated, emotional, and hard headed. So I said, Lord, that's enough of that. Make her like you. gave her a bizarre to serve people. She loves people. She gave her life to be a nurse. She's brought people back from the dead. And she's held the hand of people and breathed their last breath. He gave her a heart for missions and she's trekked all over the world. Pushed canoes up swollen rivers and laid on the floor while bullets whizzed outside so she could tell people about Jesus. But still, something was missing. So I said, Lord, make her happy. But she made me. You see that look on her face? I never saw that until she made me. And I'm grateful for that. Today I'm giving you the best thing I have to give. I just wanted you to know before I do that how hard me and God's work to get her ready for you. <laughs> so, Philip, as I give her to you, I don't think you'll mind if I give you one little word of advice. Me and God's worked hard. Don't screw it up. <laughs> How many people have already seen that? Oh, good. Good. That's good. Oh, I just love videos that make you laugh and cry all in two minutes. And I can relate that when daughters and sons, I imagine, get married, you tend to look back over 
the years and think of memories. Like when the kids got so excited that dad was coming home that they would jump and squeal and run because they have to hide where he can't see them. So they go behind the curtains and then you have this big giggling lump moving behind the curtain. Or you have a blanket moving across the floor and laughing. (laughs) Or when they scream so loud that all the dads in the neighborhood, what, what, who's in trouble? I'll get my shotgun. (laughs) And there's a spider in their room. You know what I'm talking about, right? How many times? Or when your adult daughters still giggle about the time they went to Walmart and they had to buy something that was a little personal and they didn't want to carry it through the store. So they said, well, just ask Dad to carry it for us. (laughs) And so they walked 10 paces behind him and he walked in the front because dads will do anything for their daughters and he carried the personal item to the register in Walmart and brought it home for them. So Father's Day, like Ralph said, is one of those Hallmark holidays. They want to make money and cards and stuff, but I didn't know they weren't doing so great with that. But actually, Hallmark has no idea of the potential because really every day is Father's Day. So I'm going to go to Isaiah 43.1, and I'm going to use New King James. Now... There may be times when we look at something, when we're, ta- when, we're, when we're taking a look at something and we're going to look at it widely. And we're going to say, okay, we want to see the big picture in this concept. But there's other times when we look at something and we want to have tunnel vision. So this time, today, we're going to have some tunnel vision. And I hope that the tunnel vision is going to help us to remember what we talked about. So Isaiah 43, 1, it's God speaking to Israel. And it says, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, excuse me, and he formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. I'm going to take one line, and we're going to apply tunnel vision. I think Chris knows which line it is. So, That was then, and this is now. And when we study these books in the Old Testament, we know that there's always a whole bunch of stuff going on, and God's doing stuff, and there's battles, and there's wars, and there's kings, and there's all this stuff, and we can study it in that context, and that is very, very, very good. But that's not what I'm going to do right now. What I want to do is I want to look at the words that God said, and we learn from his heart. Because I like God's heart. And what we see is something unmistakable and unchangeable about the Father's heart. So what is God saying and what can we learn? What is he saying to them and what can we learn about what he says to us? He says, I have called you by your name. Tunnel vision. Okay, put on your tunnel vision. For a minute, we're going we're gonna to forget about everything. Everything else. Just forget about it. Tunnel vision. I have called you by your name. We're not going to have a complicated, high-level discussion today. We're not going to need our calculators or our dictionaries. I have called you 
by your name. So each one of us has a name that God calls us, and that is our real name. That name is the truth about who we are. And God never says, oh, actually, never mind. What he does is he holds on to it. So there's a very intimate connection, whether we're always aware of it or not, there's a very intimate connection between God and our name, who we really are, and that will never change. And God keeps that connection. It may take us a while to figure it out, but God is right there. He is right connected with that. That is your name. It's who you are, and it's crystal clear and unmistakable to him. We can go all over the place. We can go to this side. We can go to this side. We can go up. We can go down. We can go all over. And God, all the while, stays focused on who we really are. I'm going to go now to Ephesians 3, 14 and 15. Also New King James. For this reason... I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. Everybody. All of it. It's all because of the fatherhood of God. What did Jesus call the Father? Called him the Father. Called him Father. He called him my Father, Your father, our father. Now, speaking of complicated and high-level discussions, the philosophers were in Athens, and they were pondering and intellectualizing. And they had their reading glasses on, and they had their pipes. And Paul was there, and he was all fired up. He was full of God. Just like Ralph prayed this morning. He was full of God. We're in Acts... 17, 22 to 25. And two atmospheres collided. You had the people philosophizing, being philosophers. And you had the Spirit of God. And Mary's CD was playing. And the song that was playing was Atmosphere... It was changing atmospheres. And Paul said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Uh Uh-oh. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything. He gives to all life, breath, and all things. So guys, I would like you to meet the, the one who gave you your breath. 
Without it, your life would be more difficult. So we are all here, all of us, everybody, all of it, the whole thing, are here because God said, be. Because God breathed life and because God gave you your name. Now, we might say something like, well, actually, I was a mistake. I'm only here because my parents were once foolish teenagers and, you know. But what card game do Ralph and the others play on Wednesday Connect Nights? Which, what card game? Euchre. So what God says trumps everything that people say and circumstances say. I call you by your name. Your name is not mistake. I call you by your name. I have Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, and I'm going to read a little bit. Now, he's going to get ahead of me a little bit, but this is, this is the best time for me to read it. Oh, you'll just have to trust me. So um, he is talking about the same thing I'm talking about. Who can give a man this, his own name? George MacDonald asked, God alone. George MacDonald asks, God alone, for no one but God sees what the man is. He reflects upon the white stone that Revelation includes among the rewards God will give to those who overcome. On that white stone, there is a new name. It's new only in the sense that it's not the name the world gave to us, certainly not the one delivered with the wound. No man will find on that stone mama's boy or fatty or seagull. But the new name is really not new at all when you understand that it is your true name, the one that belongs to you, that being whom he had in his thought when he began to make the child and whom he kept in his thought throughout the long process of creation and redemption. Psalm 139 makes it clear that we were personally, uniquely planned and created, knit together in our mother's womb by God himself. He had someone in mind, and that someone has a name. That someone also has undergone a terrible assault, and yet God remains committed to the realization of that same someone. The giving of the white stone makes it clear That is what he is up to. The history of a man's relationship with God is the story of how God calls him out, takes him on a journey, and gives him his true name. Most of us have thought that it was a story of how God sits on his throne waiting to whack a man broadside when he steps out of line. Not so. God created Adam for adventure, battle, and beauty. He created us for a unique place in his story, and he is committed to bringing us back to the original design. He is committed to bringing us back to the original design. He is committed to Father, to give life, and then to watch over that life. To never let go of that intimate connection with who we are. In Culture of Honor, Danny Silk says, in a culture of honor, leaders lead with honor by courageously treating people according to the names that God gives them and not according to the aliases they receive from people. 
We're going to come back to that in a minute. But first, we're going to jump to earthly fathers. And then we're going to pull it all together. So the father, the father and the earthly father gives life and identity. Fathers are created in the image of the father. So fathers have from God that same life-giving and identity-giving power and authority. We get our name from our fathers. The father determines the gender of a baby. From the fatherhood of the father, we get the fatherhood of earthly fathers. I'm going to go back to John Eldridge for a minute. He's talking about time that he spent with his grandfather. His grandfather was a rancher, and he called him Pop. One afternoon, Pop took me into town to my favorite store. It was a combination feed and tack hardware ranch supply shop. The classic dry goods store of the Old West, a wonderland of tools and equipment, saddles, bridles, and blankets. Fishing gear, pocket knives, and rifles. It smelled of hay and linseed oil, of leather and gunpowder and kerosene, all the things that thrill a boy's heart. That summer, Pop was having a problem with an overrun pigeon population on the ranch. He hated the dirty birds, feared they were carrying diseases to the cattle. Flying rats is what he called them. Pop walked straight over to the firearms counter, picked out a BB rifle and a quart-sized milk carton with about a million BBs in it, and handed them to me. The old shopkeeper looked a bit surprised as he stared down at me, squinting over his glasses. Isn't he a bit young for that? Pop put his hand on my shoulder and smiled. This is my grandson, Hal. He's riding shotgun for me. He says, where do we come from? I may have walked into that feed store, a squirrely little kid, but I walked out Sheriff Wyatt Earp, the Lone Ranger, Kit Carton, I ha- Kit Carson. I had an identity and a place in the story. I was invited to be dangerous. If a boy is to become a man, if a man is to know he is one, this is not an option. A man has to know where he comes from and what he's made of. One of the turning points in my good friend Craig's life, maybe the turning point, was the day he took back his father's name. Craig's father, Al McConnell, was killed in the Korean War when Craig was only four months old. His mother remarried and Craig was adopted by a stepdad a sour old Navy captain who called him, who called Craig a seagull whenever he was angry with him. Talk about an identity, a place in the story. He'd say, Craig, you're nothing but a seagull. All you're good for is sitting, squawking, and you get the idea. When Craig was a man, he learned the truth of his heritage, how his dad was a warrior who had been cut down in battle, how if he had lived, he was planning on He was planning on going to the mission field to take the gospel to a place no one else had ever gone before. Craig discovered that his real great-grandfather was William McConnell, the first missionary to Central America, a man who risked his life many times to bring Christ to a lost people. Craig changed his name to McConnell and with it took back a much more noble identity, a much more dangerous place in the story. So there's a place of origin, there's roots that come from our Father and put the puzzle pieces in place. There are things that maybe we don't understand about ourselves, but the Father knows. The Father knows everything and He knows how it all fits together. What is my name and what is it all about? The more I understand my name, the clearer I understand where I fit and the better that I am to love and embrace where I fit. We may have had the best dad ever, or we may have not had a dad. We may have had something somewhere in between. And this morning, this is very 
This is very beautiful. I have a gap in my notes there at that spot because I wasn't sure what God wanted me to say. I wasn't sure if we were going to go down the path of healing and restoration and the love of God's heart and how he puts those pieces together and how he knows and he watches over and he guards over it with his very life. And then God this morning said, I've got you covered. And he spoke to Ralph and he did that beautiful ministry time. So I really feel like that part right there, that is just so already done. God took over, the Holy Spirit took over, and he ministered this morning, and that was awesome. And I want to tell you something personal. I have no no intention of sharing this, but um, I had a, a rough time as a child. My dad was significantly mentally ill, and I am so healed, so healed. I would not be standing up here. If not, I have been through just tremendous faithfulness of the Lord and just the tremendous restoring and the nurturing of the Father where it could have been a disaster because my Father was so, so very limited, so very limited, and he knew that he was limited. And his heart was good. His heart was precious. It really was. But he just, he knew what he couldn't do. He knew what he would never be able to do or be able to give me. And I came into adulthood pretty, pretty seriously messed up because of that. Came to the Lord at 28. And God is amazing. Amazing. So this morning, when Ralph invited people to come up, I got a kiss on the cheek from God. God reminded me that... Um, when my dad passed away, he was 69. I was an adult. He had a stroke. He was in the hospital at Unity on his deathbed. And my mom was there. I was not there. And my mom said to him, do you have any regrets? Well, let me back up. When I was a kid, all I ever wanted to do was swim in the summer. I wanted to swim and swim and swim and swim. So it was always insatiable. All I ever wanted to do was swim. We didn't have a pool, and I begged my dad for a pool. But he knew his limitations. It wasn't because he didn't have the money, and it wasn't because he didn't care, and it wasn't because he didn't hear me. It was because he knew he wasn't going to be able to maintain it and do He just didn't have the wherewithal to do that. And it was hard for me at that time, but now I understand that. I understand the responsibilities of life and what he was going through. So every year I asked my dad for a pool, and I asked my mom for a pool, and I asked my dad why my dad, I asked my mom why dad wouldn't give me that pool. And she, she told me that she wasn't sure she could even understand it all. On my, on my dad's deathbed, my mom said to him, do you have any regrets? And he was on morphine, and he was pretty sedated, and he said, yeah, I only have one. Never got shower a pool. And so this morning, when Ralph did that, when the Holy Spirit did that, God kissed me on the cheek. I'm so healed. I'm so good. My dad is well. Yeah. My dad is well. I prayed for my dad after I got saved. I prayed for my dad vehemently. I laid hands on him, and I believed he was going to be made well, and he never was. But he's well now. Yeah. He's well now. And so God, we don't need to get weird about, you know, 
he's in heaven. Can he see me? Can he talk to me? It doesn't matter. I don't know. No, whatever. But I got a, I got a kiss on the cheek this morning. And if I don't know how it works in heaven, but if, if Dad could say, God, would you give her a kiss for me today? He did. So we may have had the best dad ever, and I think that's so cool. God bless you guys who can say, my dad was awesome. That is so cool. Or we may have had an experience like mine, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because either way, God fills in those pieces, and he calls us by our name. I'm going to read one more time from from John Eldridge. He's talking about um, <clears throat> he's talking about the natural fathering. He's talking about being fathered by the natural father and the identity drawn out. And he says, I'm struck by the poignancy of the scene at the end of the Civil War just after Appomattox where General Robert E. Lee had surrendered to General Ulysses S. Grant. For five years, Lee had led for, for five years, Lee has led the Army of Northern Virginia through some of the most terrible trials men have ever known. You would think that they'd be glad to have it over, but Lee's men hang upon the reins of his horse and beg him not to go. Plead for more, one more chance to whip those Yankees. Lee had become their father and had given those men what most of them had never had before, an identity and a place in the larger story. We long to be fathered. We long to breathe the air that we were created to breathe and to wear the skin that we were created to wear. God, uh, those men wanted to stay there because it was wonderful. They wanted to stay there because it was wonderful. They were in the worst possible circumstances, battle and violence, but it was wonderful because they had been given an identity and because they knew who they were and they had been fathered. God wants us to know that because he wants it to be wonderful for us. It's part of, it's part of on earth as it is in heaven. And I wonder what one day, knowing who we are, really, compares with a lifetime of not. I'm going to go back for a second to Ralph last week, last week or two weeks ago, I'm not sure. He's, he's talking about another, kind of on another path, but he said, how can you not be happy? Right? He said that. How can you not be happy? It's because Ralph knows who he is. Ralph can't see anything else because he knows his name. That place, that place is the most wonderful place. How can you not be happy? Ralph knows his name. How do we know our name? Well, there's the universal part of it, which is what God calls all of us, sons and daughters, adopted, heirs, joint heirs with Christ, if you haven't done that and you even want to know where to start with that, start with Joe McIntyre's book, Who We Are in Christ. So the universal piece of it, who we are, who we have been made in Christ, the truth from the word. 
And then there's the personal side. And when one is established, the other begins to be established. When we have the picture, we can start to see the personal side. We can become healed of the things that maybe would hinder us from seeing the personal, the personal side of who we are. So to father then means not exclusively, but vitally, to give life, to know the names of those you father, to know who they really are, like the father in the video. He knows who his, he knows who his daughter is. To know what God calls them, and to love them enough that you'll go before them and know who you are so that you can give them your best. You can't lead others in their real names and identity unless you know your own. And through the journey with God of finding yourself, you'll get wisdom to lead others. So who do you father? Do you father only biological children? How about men who have no children? Did Jesus have any biological children? Did he? No. Did he father? Yeah. John 5.19 says he only does what he sees the father doing. So Jesus fathered. I'm going to go to John 8.3-12. It's one of my favorite Favorite, favorite places of scripture. I love it and I never get tired. I could read this every day, all day, every day. Because, because Jesus tells us so much about himself. Not by his words so much, but by what he does. You know when you're in school and you're learning to write and the teacher says, tell without telling. So... You don't say something like, the wind was so cold it was hard to walk. You say something like, the whipping January wind wound around my body like a boa constrictor and rendered me motionless. Right? Any English teachers? Well, you get a picture. So you want to create. You don't want to just throw it and it goes thud. You want to create it. And this is what, this is what, (laughs) listen, you guys are really having fun with that, huh? This is what John, the story in John does for me. Every single time it creates, it creates Jesus' heart like I'm standing right there. Our senses are involved. We get a picture. So we're there and we're watching him and we're watching his actions and his body language. Okay, so John 8, 3 through 12. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him and pestering him, I added that, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. 
And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. I've heard speculation, pause. I've heard speculation that we all have, that maybe he was writing their sins. And they're like, oh, man. And then this time, I've read this how many times, and this time I was thinking, because it says from the oldest to the youngest, maybe he said, all right, you've got, you got two more years to get it right. Right? you got two more years to live. How are you going to live? you got 15 more years. How are you going to live? So the oldest ones, whoop, I'm out of here. Just a speculation. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So, which is my tunnel vision line this time? As though he did not hear. I just love that. Jesus. Oh. It says, He stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. There's a lot of noise everywhere. There's aliases, like Danny Silk said. Jesus said no. No, he wouldn't hear it. It didn't even exist to him. It wasn't even there. Here is a child of God. God created her. What is her name? Her name is not that noise. And her name is not those aliases. That is not what heaven is saying right now. So what percentage of all the words out there spoken all the time, all day, filling the atmosphere where we live, do you suppose are aliases and noise? And you know we can lower that percentage. For every situation we encounter, there's noise and there's aliases. And there are names and life from heaven. Noise, aliases, and names and life from heaven. So every day is Father's Day because perfect fatherhood exists in heaven all the time. And God doesn't keep it to himself. He gives it that we can give it and that we can live. And the noise and the aliases, just as though... We didn't hear. So later on today, if someone asks you what the sermon at your church was about, I want you to say, we need to have tunnel vision. (laughs) The perfect fatherhood of the Father does not forget who we are and what name he gave us. And the perfect fatherhood of the Father watches over us and draws us sometimes and waits for us sometimes to look at his face and to know who we are. And then the perfect fatherhood of the father creates fathers in his image. And what about those who have not fathered? Do they sit this one out? Do they hit another channel? No, because perfect fatherhood from heaven is always... It's always. It doesn't stop. 
and it's for everything. Perfect Father for all of us all the time. So that fathers can lead and protect with tunnel vision the names of those around them. And that they would fiercely know their own children's names and nurture life and alias and noises just as though they didn't hear. And that the fathers would teach their children to do the same. And how could they not be happy? How could they not be happy, Ralph? And then his faithfulness is to all generations. And so fatherhood is beautiful. It's beautiful and it's life-giving to all generations, through all of us, to each other, to fathers, to sons. So would you stand? We're going to pray. Father, thank you so much for beautiful fatherhood, Father. That we can call you Father, God. That you have given us our name. Your name, he said. Thank you, Father, that you father us with beautiful and perfect fatherhood. And you draw us to that place where how could we not be happy? Because we know who we are. And we're breathing the air that we're supposed to breathe. And we're breathing the, and we're, we're living the life that we were created to live. And we're wearing the skin that we were created to wear. All the time. Not one time a year. But all the time. And Father, I pray for fathers. I pray for the fathers. That they would have the courage to pursue the truth. Their name. It's never too late that they would pursue you with tunnel vision like you have tunnel vision for them, that they would pursue their name so that they can then pursue their kids' names, so they can give the best to all that they're called to father. Fathers, grandfathers, men, uncles, that they would be called, that they would be know what they're called and that they would know who you call who they father, what you call who they father. And they would connect intimately, Father, as you connect intimately with us. And I thank you, Father, for all of us. We all can do what we see the Father doing. I thank you, Father, that we father because it really is to give life. We give life, Father. So give us opportunities and show us, God, where we would be able to give life and give us the courage to do it. Give us the courage to hear your Holy Spirit. And give us the courage to say no and no. This person, this person has a name. I will not listen to to noise and aliases. I will hear from heaven what this person's name is. And so I birth that ministry right there. I speak it, Father, that we will grow in it and we will continue and that we will know that this is a beautiful, beautiful aspect of your fatherhood to all of us, through all of us, and for all of us, all the time, every day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay.